that song had both aspects of heartfelt affection, uh, worship that God gives us because it had in it the desire for us to want to shout and stand, but at the same time it had in it the aspects of God wanting us to kneel before Him as our Creator. Psalm 95 speaks of both, how that we sing loudly and we sing to where the music cuts to the ear, but also how we get low before the Lord as far as our position before Him and honor and worship Him. And I think both of those were brought out in that song, Praise the Lord. You do realize that the gospel is a pretty big deal. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. I delivered unto you a first importance. I declared to you a first importance. What was also that I also received that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and the third day he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. The gospel is of first importance. And we're learning that whenever the gospel is preached, some will believe. And we also know that the gospel sword can cause division. Acts 14.4 reminds us that the gospel sword cut straight through the middle of that city and divided them. What you're going to see today is as Paul continues to witness to the truth of the gospel of first importance... That not only does it cause division, but it causes disturbances, right? Whenever the gospel is preached, it kind of turns the world upside down. And it can incite in us uh, the great response to the grace of God that He would save sinners like us. But at the same time, it incites in people rage and hatred. So much so that they would want to kill you because of your, the fact that you're preaching about... A Jewish king, who is God, eternal, that came down to this earth and lived in perfect obedience to the Father and never once sinned and then took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary and died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. So, that's what we're going to see today. Something that is very interesting about Lystra is that it's in the backwoods. We joked about that, didn't we? It's a backwater place. It's off the beaten path. It's the... It's the land of the hillbillies, kind of like what I grew up in in Bowman, Georgia, with only about 800 people and a couple of cats and dogs. That's about it. But here the Lord, for the first time, is going to send forth Paul and Barnabas down to an area that does not have a Jewish synagogue. So this is groundbreaking. There's no synagogue. There's not going to be the normal pattern of Paul taking the Old Testament Scripture and expositing and running to the new and showing you how Jesus is the fulfillment. It's going to be different this time in how he uh, gives the gospel out. We never have a right to edit the gospel. Never. But we do have to think about who we're talking to. And now here is Paul. He's going to be addressing a total different kind of people. Just straight out raw pagans that had never heard of any kind of connections with the Old Testament or Israel's God. That's who he's going to be dealing with. Now, let's pick up verse, chapter 14 beginning in verse 8. We're going to talk about the witness of the living God in times of ignorance. That will make more sense to you as we go through the sermon. Okay. Now, 
At Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. Well, as you're preaching, we might call that vocal variation, right? There's no doubt that he bumped up in his vocal variation from preaching maybe conversationally to seeing faith in this man and saying, Stand up right on your feet. That word upright or stand upright is the word ortho. So his legs are made strong and straight. So the Bible says, And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles... But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and into the city, and on the next day went with Barnabas to Derbe. What a story. What an amazing narrative given to us by Luke. Now, you know Luke was a physician. He was giving, given to detail, and he tells us about this individual. What we have to believe, more than likely, is Paul is preaching in the marketplace. There is no synagogue. Let's say he's in the open air and he's walked into the marketplace. And much like Acts chapter 3, when the lame man is placed at the gate, beautiful. Why? Central location so he can beg for alms. That was the only income they had. They had no social security back in those days. You had to, you had to beg if you were lame and that was his case. But notice Luke. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of parallels with Paul and Peter's uh, missionary endeavors. Especially when it comes to healing uh, with a paralytic man. So Luke is emphatic. He tells us that he had no strength. Three things about him. He had no ability in his feet. That is, he had no strength in his feet. Luke then tells us that he was lame from the womb. Maybe this is a congenital defect. And then Luke says emphatically that he had never walked. It's not a matter of a man who comes up on the stage in a Benny Hinn crusade and he's limping. And all of a sudden he leaves and he's not limping. This is a man who has never walked in all of his life. We learn from Acts 3 a little later that that man was 40 years having not been able to walk. 
doesn't tell us the story here. But the fact is, he has absolutely no strength in his feet and he's never walked. And the Bible says he's listening to Paul. So catch this scene out. He's in the marketplace. He's perhaps preaching in the open air. He's in a place, the lame man is in a place where he could get alms. uh, And he could beg. And Paul is preaching the word. And it was a common practice to put him in a high traffic area so that they could beg for alms. Paul is preaching. This crippled man is listening to the word. Now we don't know exactly how Paul was relating the gospel to these raw pagans. But a little longer, a little further in the text, we may get an understanding of that. But he's addressing them uh, in a different manner than he did the Jews that were sitting in the synagogue who knew full well who Yahweh God was. Yet they didn't see the connection that Jesus Christ is Yahweh God. But here he's preaching and teaching in a different manner. They had no scriptural frame of reference whatsoever. It would be like us going over to the remotest parts of the earth with no Christian witness having never heard of Jesus and starting to share the gospel. That's kind of how this scenario would be. The Bible says that Paul fixed his gaze upon this man. This has been used numerous times. Uh, Peter did the same thing. He fixed his gaze on the paralytic that was found there in Acts chapter 3. And the Bible says that Paul sees that this man has faith. Now that's an interesting construction, right? He listened to Paul and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said to him, rise up on your feet. Now, it's interesting to see this term well or your faith has made you well because you have to to wrestle with what's used here in terminology. The Greek word for save, and that can also be used for made whole, is the word sozo. It's to be rescued or to be made well. So the question is, oftentimes in the New Testament, Jesus will say, Go, your faith has made you well, or your faith has healed you. However, it's also used at times to be spiritually made well. And it's difficult to, con- to translate exactly what's going on. But I would say to you that I think it's talking about spiritual healing at this point. Why? Because Luke puts his emphasis upon the Word. What's the first thing he's doing? He's listening to the Word. Faith cometh by and hearing by the Word. I would submit that in this case, in this instance, that the man is listening and we have... We've got to come to a conclusion of what Paul saw in this person. And he saw that the person had faith. As he is preaching, he looks at the man and realizes that faith is forming in this man's life. I would suggest to you that it was the faith to be saved. It was faith to be delivered from the penalty and the power of sin. I think this is the likelihood of what's going on here. I don't think he's preaching on divine healing. I don't think Paul comes at this point and he's preaching a sermon on divine healing. I think he's preaching a sermon about the divine healer who saves the soul. Right? That's the context of what he is preaching. He was preaching the good news of the gospel. He was preaching the good news of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his atoning work to save sinners. I don't think it was something that this lame man was drumming up on his own. I don't think he's sitting there and Paul sees him do some kind of act or something that made him think that this was originating as a virtue in him 
We all need to remember that faith cometh, cometh by hearing. And hearing comes through the Word of God. And again, Luke puts the emphasis on the fact that he was listening. Just like you may be listening today to this sermon. And, and I look out and I may see or, or think in my mind, you know what, I see some disposition of the face, some, maybe some understanding that God is setting you free. I think it's more than that really here. I think supernaturally. God gives Paul the understanding that faith was forming inside of this man. He was going from a place of darkness to the place of life. He was going from the place of unbelief to belief in Jesus Christ. And so as Paul preaches the gospel of life, God is forming inside of this man faith. And check this out. With a loud voice, he addresses this man. Occasionally, I will lift my voice when I'm preaching, right? And I always get your attention, don't I? Some of you are sleeping, and I'll raise my voice. But here, Paul raises his voice. And the exact wording in the Greek is, Stand up straight on your feet. Again, that word straight up is ortho. Just think about these little withered legs. Never had any weight on them. No strength whatsoever. And now, uh, Paul says to stand up. And God communicates with Paul. That this man has faith. So the, the faith is going on in two different dimensions. Yes, God gave him faith. But Paul also has the faith that is, as he is preaching just to shout out, stand up. What does that take, folks? That takes faith in God. And the Bible tells us that he, the guy actually leaps up, jumped up, started walking. Now, do you think this caused some kind of disruption in the sermon? Hey, as a pastor, I wouldn't mind this happening. Right? But uh, most importantly, I want to see God save your soul. Uh, that's what we need to jump up and, and shout about the victory uh, over sin and death when you come to know Jesus as your Lord. But the crowd, they knew this man. Correct? Just like Acts 3. If you've been coming to Gate Beautiful for 30 to 40 years and you've been begging for alms, you know you had to pass by and throw a coin in that bucket at some point. Everybody knew who the man was in Acts 3. Well, I think that's the case as well here. They knew full well uh, who this man was. And he had probably uh, placed his alms basket there year after year. Can you imagine the excitement that the people have? Remember, for the lame to leap for joy and to begin to walk was a sign of the Messianic kingdom. Did y'all know that? Do you mind if I show you? Flip over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. This is a description of the Messianic age given to us in Isaiah 35. Verse 5. Listen to it. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Pretty awesome, right? That is an understanding of the Messianic kingdom. Do you remember when John the Baptist was imprisoned? And, you know, you're kind of shocked when you're going through the narrative that all of a sudden now John the Baptist, the very one who said what David said earlier, uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, of the world. But in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, notice what the word of the Lord says. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities, 
Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Check this out. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, go back to the prison and tell John the Baptist that Isaiah 35, 5 is here. Right? It's the fulfillment of the Messianic age, and that's what's going on in Acts. We see that taking place. They hear the gospel. And they see something they've never seen before. A man born, unable to walk, is up now leaping for joy and no doubt praising God and singing and worshiping the Lord. So the people began to draw their own theological conclusions. Aren't people good at this? You know, if they're raw pagans, uh, they've got a ton of religious superstition, but they don't know Yahweh God, and now they're making their own theological conclusions about what's going on. Something wonderful has happened. And notice what the text says. They believe what has happened. The gods have come saying in Lyconian. They're they're saying this out in Lyconian. Now what was Paul preaching in? Greek. Everybody understood Greek during this time frame. It was the, the language of the day. They would have understood. But here they now begin to make their theological conclusions in Lyconian. So I guess you go back to your mother tongue when you're going to start trying to cipher what's going on, right? So in Lyconian, they're, they're talking back to one another about what's going on here. And here's what they say. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now don't think for a moment that this is in view, what is in view as a rudimentary a depiction of the incarnation of Christ. Because that's exactly what he did. But it's not gods, plural, it's the God came down in human flesh. The Word was made flesh. That's not what they're alluding to at all. These guys are steeped in religious superstition, and they're not talking about God incarnate. They're not talking about the Son of God. They're talking about gods, a plurality of gods that don't exist, coming down in human form. So, basically, what is in view, again, mythological superstition. They conclude that these two men, Paul and Barnabas, are gods who have come like us, uh, have become like us, and they've come down to us. And they're saying this in Lyconian. Can you imagine what Paul is doing here trying to figure out what these people are saying and what Barnabas is listening? And again, everybody could speak Greek, but their their theological conclusions, how they're trying to figure out what's going on, It's in a language that these guys would not have been familiar with. And we see that they give them names. Zeus and Hermes. Now what can we say about Barnabas? Well, maybe he was a little more stately. Maybe he had a suit on. I don't know what it is, but something about Barnabas, uh, maybe he's just a little older, maybe a little more dignified, but they call him Zeus. Paul, and and also Barnabas, was from the priestly line. But here you've got Paul. This is a gritty rascal, right? I told you, he's probably bald-headed, probably had a crook nose, from what they say, bow-legged, and they give him the name Hermes. So Barnabas is designated 
as the chief deity Zeus. Paul gets designated as Hermes, the messenger of the gods, is that title. So the dignified one must be Zeus and the messenger must be Hermes. These people are utterly fanatical. Can you imagine the frenzy going on? All the superstitions. We have, uh, we've been visited by Zeus and Hermes. Now where do they get this idea from? It was just wafted out of society. No, actually there was a Roman poet who recorded a legend from this very region that they're in, in Lystra, that uh, Zeus and Hermes were traveling incognito and no one knew it and they were seeking shelter and everybody refused them except for an older couple, Philemon and Bacchus, who took them in and they met the guest's needs. They did everything they asked for them to do. And then finally, the gods revealed who they really were. They transformed the little couple's home into a temple or a palace and then they send a flood and wipe out the rest of the holy civilization. Wow, what a story. So, can you imagine what these superstitious people were thinking when all of a sudden a lame man is up walking and they begin to worship Paul and, and Barnabas and they think that Zeus and Hermes has come back again? What are they going to do this time? They're going to get it right. They're not going to miss out. Uh, the, the older couple may have gotten it right the first time, but we're all going to get it right this time. And they're just going nuts. And the Bible tells us, that they began to worship. And they uh, actually, the Zeus temple priest hears about this. He begins to bring his sacrifices. Uh, the crowd is going nuts. So they desire to worship and make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. You know, I don't know if, if they're asking people, now what's going on at this point? What are y'all actually doing? And somebody may have said, well, you had not figured this out. We're about to worship you two guys. I don't know what's going on for this to take place. But I'm sure there was some conversation. Finally, again, Paul and Barnabas began to understand what's going on. And they began to protest. And they do so by running out into the streets and tearing their robes. For the Jew, what was this a sign of? Grief. And disappointment. And usually over blasphemy. That was an issue of tearing the robe. They have... They rush into the crowd to stop them. They have a passion to see their souls converted. But they don't want to receive worship because that's blasphemous. And so, men, why are you doing these things? And then he says, we are men of like passions like you are. You need to stop because we're just flesh and blood. We're made of the same human stuff that you are made of. I think there are people in this world who need, who need to be reminded about that when it comes to preachers and men and everybody else. Right? That they tend to put up on a pedestal. We are made of the same human stuff that you are made of. Now, we've got a very short sermon by Paul. In the midst of this utterly chaotic scene where they're pulling out all the stops to worship them and man, the priest of the Zeus temple has come down and brought an ox. That's a pretty good indication the sacrifice is about to be made right, by the way, right? And so Paul and them understand this. And right in the midst of it, Paul begins to preach. And this is the heart of the text. Listen to it. Men, why are you doing these things? We are, are also men of like nature with you. And we bring good news. What's that? Of first importance, perhaps? First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, you better believe it. That you should turn from these vain things to the living God. Turn from your vain religious superstitions and turn to the living God, which is... Uh, language for 
repentance, turn to God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed you, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart, hearts with food and gladness. And again, they could still scarcely restrain them from having a desire to worship him or them according to verse 18. So Paul gives a short sermon. He says to them, you need to turn from your vain things, turn to the living God. And there's no question he's preaching a message of repentance from vain, empty idolatry. It is a gospel of faith in turning to the living God. Don't turn there, but just listen to Isaiah 45, 22. The Bible says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I mean, we're not, that, that, that's not recorded, but can't you hear Paul saying that? If we only have a synopsis of the sermon, it's very possible that uh, he, uh, he didn't only know Isaiah. Again, Paul knew the whole Old Testament, and he knew there was no other gods. You've got to turn from the vain gods and turn only to Jesus. So in this chaotic scene, Paul begins to preach the word, preach the gospel. This statement that's given, in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. That's the same statement that Paul is going to use in Acts chapter 17 when he's preaching the word in Athens. These times of ignorance. He's allowed you to go your own way in times of ignorance. In his mercy, he's overlooked this kind of careless idolatry. Are y'all getting this? In times past, he's looked over the careless, superstitious kind of beliefs that you have. God did this. But verse 17 is absolutely profound. Check this out. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. God did not leave himself without a testimony, even in all these times of ignorance. God did not leave himself without witness. He's going to enumerate what those are. But what we're talking about in this reference is what's called common grace. It's general revelation. And we say that to separate that from specific revelation and or saving grace. There's a difference in common grace and saving grace. Are y'all listening? Y'all listening in the balcony? Yeah, this means yes, this means no. And if you get confused, go like this, right? And you might, but there's a difference in common grace and saving grace. And he enumerates these things of common grace. He did good to you. That's common grace to all people, whether you're saved or not. He did good to you. He gave you rains from heaven. This can't be done by Zeus and Hermes. Amen? Amen. This comes from our great God. He gives rains from heaven. And the Bible says He gave fruitful seasons. If you had anything to eat, it's because of the goodness of God. Praise God, right? And then the Bible says He satisfied you with food and gladness. In other words, He showered upon you. He did not leave Himself without a witness even though you went your own way. He gave a witness to who He is. He expressed this. He communicated His blessings to you by being good to you. You know, signs of goodness, signs of God's goodness are all witnesses from God of the fact that He exists, that He is all-wise, 
and that He is a benevolent God. Do you know that creation itself is right now, this moment, preaching an unending sermon? God's creation is preaching a sermon, even as you sit in this building. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Does God speak? You better believe it. And all you got to do is walk out of this church and look up. And God is speaking. Now He's going to speak once and for all through His Son, Hebrews 1. God still speaks, right? His final word is Jesus Christ. And that's what's so important about the gospel in Acts 14. So important when God gives common grace for you to be able to hear the gospel. You better thank God for it. For you just to get to hear the gospel is a blessing from Almighty God. It's common grace for you to be able to hear that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Day in, day and night, it reveals knowledge. What reveals knowledge? The heavens. God's handiwork reveals that. There is no speech, nor their words, whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. And that's what he's referring to. As Paul is preaching this, he's referring to that common grace of God to give an understanding of the fact that God exists. So, what do we know about that? God revealed himself to the nations through common grace. And consequently, everybody in this world remains accountable to God and they're without excuse. And we ask, we ask those questions sometimes. Well, what about the heathen in the desperate land far away that never hears of Jesus? They're without excuse. Why? Because God created the worlds. You may say, well, you know, I, I've got a hard time witnessing to an atheist. Because an atheist doesn't believe in creation, nor do they believe in God. Right? Would you know that they can say they don't believe in God all they want to, but God doesn't believe in an atheist. How about that? Romans 1 tells us this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Thus, Acts 14. They're turning the God of creation into men that can be worshipped. Right? And then the Bible says this, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forevermore. So that common grace given out to mankind. Again, God doesn't believe in atheists. That's all you got to do. What does Paul presuppose? He presupposes that God is creator. He doesn't go to these people down there and say to them, we know you believe in Zeus and Hermes, and let me prove to you that God exists. That's not what he did. And let me give you encouragement when you're sharing the gospel. You don't have to prove that God created the world. Just tell the people that God created the world. Because he did. 
right? You, you presuppose the fact that God did that. You don't have to prove that God created the world. God has already put inside of that person the understanding that he exists. And they are without excuse. Y'all see how clear that is. Common grace versus specific grace. Now again, Paul says in the midst of your ignorance, darkness, God letting you go your own way. He did not leave you without, with a, without a testimony. But folks, as great as that testimony is, there's nothing greater than the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. And not only did he give them, shower them with common grace, he sent Paul and Barnabas down to the backwoods to tell them about Jesus. How can they hear unless we send a preacher? And that's what the Lord does. He, he not only gives them common grace to these backwater people, but he, in the midst of that common grace, he lets them hear about Jesus. Thus you this morning, sitting in this auditorium, you've got an opportunity from the, the true and living God to hear how Jesus Christ is God and the fulfillment of all the Scriptures. Now there is enough data in general or natural revelation from God for people to conclude that the living God exists. Yet our, yet our hearts are idol factories, right? They are. So what do we need? Well, we understand the rain come from God. But there are people in this world, God's made this evident, but they turn around and say, man, this water came from the rain gods. Or if somebody's pregnant, they say, whoo, that's the fertility gods. We turn it in to things that we can worship instead of giving the credit to the God who did it all. They did not grasp what Paul was saying. They scarcely were able to restrain them from making the sacrifices. They didn't hear the gospel. Notice verse 19. This is amazing. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Remember? Why did they get run out of town? When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. That's back in Acts 14.5. And now their plan comes to fruition. Man, these guys will not stop. And so they have been following after Paul and Barnabas. They arrive here in Lystra. And not only do they arrive there with a band of people ready to stone them, but they stir up these worshipers. I mean, think about where their approval rating went. I mean, they had a 99% approval rating when they were wanting to be worshipped and called gods for a day, Zeus and Hermes. But now all of a sudden, you know, isn't this the way that uh, spiritual insanity really is? Do you know that's why Psalm 1 says that blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a... If you don't have Jesus as your foundation, you have no resulting stability. And isn't it amazing that they're on this one hand wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas, Zeus and Hermes, and the people come in, and excite them, and all of a sudden they've gone from worshiping to wanting to kill. Folks, that's spiritual insanity. That's what's in this world today, right? When I was in seminary, uh, I had just graduated seminary, pastoring our, my first church in Duncan, North Carolina. In 1999, I, I saw firsthand this insanity where uh, Graham Staines and his family were, were ministering in a Hindu culture in India. And he had been there for 30-something years riding his bike, just loved by the people. And all of a sudden, one of these Hindu rulers comes in at night when he is sleeping in his truck, four-wheel drive with his son Timothy and Philip, I think they were 10 and 11, and burned them to death. 
So they went from, uh, you know, loving this man, many of them, to this one ruler coming up with antagonism and hatred to the gospel and burning. Folks, that's what happens when people are not religious, when they're not stable in Christ. The only person that can give you stability spiritually is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so we see spiritual insanity in this text. And folks, I'm telling you, we don't need to sleep ever on Islam. It is not a religion of peace. If a person says that, they either don't know their religion or they're lying. If an Islamist tells you that, it is not a religion of peace. It's a religion to kill the infidel. You know that, don't you? So in our country, we should never... Should we evangelize them? You better believe it. I'm just reminding you not to sleep on the situation. Because that spiritual insanity comes out when people don't have Jesus Christ as their firm foundation. There's no resulting stability. There's no tree planted by the rivers of water. That root, that's root runs down deep. That's not true for those who are in spiritual insanity. And this one group who's making them God for a day is turning right around. Again, remember, uh, Paul tells them, you don't worship me. You don't worship men. We're, we're, we're made just like you are. You worship the true and living God and you turn to him. And notice what happens according to the text. They stone Paul. I guess I don't have to tell you uh, what, what this is about. How violent it is. There's no trial here. This is mob violence. I mean, I don't know who threw the first stone. Uh, I don't know why Barnabas wasn't stoned, but Paul was. To buy time, let me just tell you, all you could hope for, the best you could hope for if you're going to be stoned, is for the biggest, burliest man with the biggest rock possible to hit you right between the eyes the first time so that you don't struggle anymore and don't hurt anymore. Can you imagine death by stoning? Can you just stop for a moment and think about blow after blow after blow to your appendages and your chest and your arms and your legs and your feet? The best you could hope for was for the first rock to kill you dead cold. Right? And so that's what Paul is going through here. As a matter of fact, as he gives his testimony, this was dear to his heart. He says in Galatians 6, 17, I bear the stigmata, I bear the scars of Christ in my body. And Mm. the Galatians are wanting to turn away from the gospel of first importance. The most important thing in all of life. They want to turn away from it and go back to Judaism. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you something I've got over all those Judaizers. I've got the marks of Jesus in my body. I've got the testimony of Christ in my body. I bear the scars for him. Man, that's a sermon, isn't it? And he will, he will say to Timothy, I remember what happened to me, Timothy. He says this is 2 Timothy 3. I know what happened in Iconium. I know what happened in Lystra. This stuff was embedded in his mind. Do you think he thought about Stephen when the first rock came? It was Paul that held the cloaks of the, of the garments as others threw their stones to kill Stephen. Do you think Paul thought about that? Especially when Jesus said, I will tell him of great things he will suffer for my name's sake. Yeah, I think he thought about this. Bearing those scars. Man, I just didn't have enough time to preach this morning. I hate that. I would just go on and on and on. Hey, let me let you walk out of here with two things. First, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, it is an act of common grace to people. You need to be thankful this morning that you have been able to come to this church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be thankful that you're able to come and hear the gospel. 
is common grace to you like rain that falls on you and food that you're able to eat. The height of that is that God would give you an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Culminates. We might say common grace culminates in you being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel. And you know what? They were going to be accountable for it on judgment day. The fact that they heard. Secondly, Paul gives us an example of our own witnessing. What amazing flexibility. He doesn't go down there and pick up the scroll of the Old Testament and say, let's start with the Torah and go from Genesis uh, down through the Pentateuch. He doesn't do that. He starts where they are. Romans 1. Our God created all that you see. The food that you eat. But hey, he didn't stop there, right? If you're going to share the gospel, you've got to end with Jesus. If you don't end with the gospel, then you haven't shared the gospel. If you don't end with what Jesus Christ has accomplished, and Paul makes that unequivocally clear by giving them the good news. And look, folks, we don't have a right to edit the good news, but we ought to try to find a point of contact with people. If they've got biblical background, but they're lost, well, you can start with the Scripture. If they don't have any kind of biblical background, you still preach the Word, but your point of contact may be, uh, how did all this come to fruition that you see around you? How was all this created? Well, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Well, I do too. God said bang, and there it was, right? (laughs) Amen? Right? There's no way that this came to fruition through man's work or some kind of primordial soup found somewhere that evolved into... No, it didn't happen that way. There's no way that our planet could be exactly positioned far enough from the sun not for us to burn to death and far enough away not to freeze. Or close enough not to freeze. Who did this? Well, Colossians 1 says that God holds all things together. The reason the earth spins on its axis like it does is because the sovereign God of the universe fixed it that way. If he didn't, we'd burn up or we'd freeze. God did this. And here's what God says to you today. Because I placed in you an understanding that I exist, on judgment day, no matter if, if you never hear the gospel, you're still accountable. Because God created all things. And he did that as a witness. But let's ratchet that accountability up even more if you've been able to sit in this church and hear the gospel. And yet you said no to Jesus Christ. Paul's perseverance is amazing, isn't it? I mean, here's a guy who's stoned to death, literally, but he didn't die. Should have died. Can you imagine those disciples standing around him? I mean, that's their hero. That's the champion in the faith. And you know they're thinking, looking at that lifeless body, that he's dead, right? And man, the guy just, with as much simplicity as Luke says they stoned him, with the same amount of simplicity, it says he just got up. And did he quit? I mean, I'd have been saying, give me a whole bottle of Advil. Is that what he did? Think about this, folks. Contused, bloody, whole nine yards. Just imagine getting stoned like that. And yet he gets up and he goes 60 miles to Derby. And you know what we'll do, young people? You go to school and you got your WWJD bracelet on and somebody says, take that off. And you say, I got persecuted at school today. I had to take off my cross and take off my WWJD bracelet. Wah! Right? We have no idea what persecution is. We have no idea the perseverance. I mean, if it's raining outside, we won't come to FBCO. If there's a little bit of suffering, we won't. Just take a look at this kind of suffering. 
This kind of courage for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need this kind of courage and fortitude not to stop. We get our feelings hurt so easy in the Baptist church. Get over it. There's something bigger. There's something of first importance. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had so much more to say but can't get it in. I may reboot that part and get it in next week, all right? God, you're so good to us. Lord, uh, that common grace. Lord, uh, Lord, I can't help but think about the potential that we have lost people, even under the sound of my voice, that come to this church week after week. And you have given them a testimony and a witness of how good you've been to them. Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Lord, you're such a benevolent God. And thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's of first importance. Now, Lord, I can only be faithful to preach the word, but you have to let the word make its impact on purpose, people's hearts. Only you can affect change. And, Lord, help us uh, to look at this incredible narrative in the Scripture and let us go away from it thanking you for common grace. And if we're saved, we need to thank you for saving grace in Jesus Christ, saving our souls. And Lord, for Paul's example in witnessing, the dude just got up, Father, just got off the ground and goes straight over and starts witnessing and going back to the churches and visiting them. Lord, what an awesome understanding for our own lives of the kind of courage that we need in our day to be faithful to proclaim the gospel. God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.